0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Bet on You Radio, where every episode we have an incredible guest t- sharing amazing stories to give you the tools and strategies you need to bet on yourself and win. I'm your co-host, Ben Whiting, here with the amazing, the incredible, Angie Witkowski. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ben, I am so excited for this episode because a dear friend of ours, Joe Sanek, wrote this amazing book, Thursdays a New Friday, that really helped me... Uh, Reimagine my relationship with work. And when I say that, like relationship with work, did you know that you were in a relationship with work?
0: We all are in a relationship (laughs) with work. And I'll be honest, mine can be tenuous at times.
1: (laughs) How so? Like what makes it tenuous? Why would you choose that word?
0: Uh, Because sometimes I invest a lot into it and it doesn't call me back, like so many of my previous (laughs) (laughs) relationships in life. (laughs) But no, I think we all are trying to find a work-life balance where we are just feel like we're being our best selves, but also giving our best selves to things outside of work, our relationships, you know, our personal health and those things. On And Joe addresses all of this in his book.
1: One of the things I love most, too, is just the research that went into the book. So it wasn't, again, just a bunch of tips. But really, these are grounded in science that can all help us preserve our most important asset, which is our brain. And I think about that a lot with my relationship with work. We both are in the creative space. Mm. So we write, we speak, we coach, we consult, we do all these things. Whenever I think about the work that I'm approaching, I'm always, how do I get in the best mental headspace? Because people are counting on me. To be my best. So, how do you get in the best mental headspace? Yeah. So, with the, magic shows, mentalists, flow work. state. Yeah.
0: yeah. And for me, it's like, you know, we have our rituals. Like, you know, I have a candle that I always, you know, I turn on when I need to be creative. Also, just being aware of what time of day I am my most creative. For me, I can do creative work really well in the morning. And in the afternoon, I do kind of more kind of menial tasks, my spreadsheet work, invoicing, that kind of thing. But if I need to be creative and coming up with ideas, um, Yeah, it's in the morning, I have the candle, and I actually read an article last week about a study that was done in London on the effects of listening to the sounds of birds.
1: Really? The
0: sounds of of birds. birds. Listening to to one to two minutes of bird sounds Mm -hmm. can improve your mood and mental performance for up to eight hours. And so I just downloaded an app that just plays bird sounds. And so I've been trying it out. I mean, so far, so good. I'm going
1: to do that. I'm going to bring it into my house, put it on the Bluetooth speaker and just drive everybody in my family crazy. (laughs) But maybe, maybe at the end of this experiment, we're all feeling better. (laughs) Except for Sully, your dog, who's going to go go nuts wanting to know where the bird is. (laughs) I have found, and this is a phrase that I like to use. Uh, moving from task to task is really hard for me. I call it switching channels. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, we think about the television. It's hard to keep track of things and stay focused and organized. I have found that a simple close my eyes, one minute of breathing, and just being quiet is the thing that resets me. So I think about a day, you know, if I've got a few coaching clients, if I've got to develop a workshop for a client, in between tasks, just And I've given this guidance to some people who, like my husband, for example, who like thinks, you know, it's kind of woo, it's (laughs) a little out there for him. But it works. It's like if anything you can do to clear out the mental garbage and just be present, because that's what people want from you.
0: Right. And I think I read recently that, you know, meditation, the way someone described it is it's not about achieving the state of enlightenment. It's simply training your attention so that you can put your focus where you want to, when you want to. And thinking of it in terms of that really kind of changed my relationship to it. I was like, all right, this makes much more sense as to why I should practice this.
1: Oh, and I cannot wait. Again, we are transitioning right now to talk with Joe about his amazing, important book. You've got to get this book.
0: We are so excited to have Joe Sanock in the studio today. Joe, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing amazing. I'm with two great friends, and we get to talk about business and life. So what could be better? Absolutely. Joe is a Simon Sinek speaker and author of Thursday is the New Friday. And I read this book over the past week, and I am excited just to dive into this. Joe, I, I have to ask... Why this book? Why did you end up writing this? Because was there an inciting incident where you were just like, this is a message that the world needs? Or was it something personal to you? How did it come about?
2: Yeah, I would love to say it was this muse moment where it just all came together, but that would just be a straight up lie. Mm. Um, I actually worked with a writing coach for a year before I even put in my proposal um, that HarperCollins ended up picking up, uh, really clarifying, like, what's my unique message? And every Thursday we would talk and It just felt like we're we're going nowhere what are we talking about but she was pulling out of me all these ideas to sort through what's my original way of thinking what's just me repackaging someone else's work and really over and over it was how we use our time uh, to more effectively get things done in a shorter period of time. And then how we genuinely turn our brains off. That was the cycle that I just kept going back to. And she just recognized that. And as we talked, it really was, I'm living the four day work week. That's a great hook to work fewer hours. And also it's what I'm teaching my clients all the time.
1: And let's go there for a second because you are a therapist. So, in many ways, from this book, coach, you were getting therapy and you were going through the process of, oh, this is murky, which I think a lot of people who've been through counseling or therapy probably feel like, I don't know where we're going, but you do have those moments. Can you talk a little bit about your background too that led you to? get into this position to have these thoughts and ideas?
2: Yeah. So I'm trained as a traditional therapist psychologist. I'm dual licensed, so I'm both a psychologist and a counselor. Went through a very normal grad program, worked at nonprofits and uh, in higher education. And really at one point decided I want to have a little bit more time and financial freedom. So I started a side gig counseling practice, and it was literally just Monday nights, see a couple clients to pay off student loan debt. Um, Then I had other clinicians asking if they could work for me and I had the office all week, but I wasn't using it. And so, Learned how to do a group practice without really any training or business knowledge, and then in that process, so it's like therapy barber chairs, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's a great analogy. uh, Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they were ten ninety nines. You know, I got a percentage (laughs) of it. I marketed everybody and then recognized in that process that there was no business training out there for therapists and really just i didn't see any podcasts so i started a podcast and so right away as the number one podcast for counselors in private practice cuz no one else was doing it
1: congratulations for finding yeah. that market niche and yeah. i thought
2: i was late to the game this was you know 2012 uh, that i launched that podcast and then a bunch of other podcasts followed uh, but that really helped me just be a co-learner with these therapists and saying, you know, I just learned what SEO is. Um, here's a book that I read on it. Um, I'm going to try to interview somebody about SEO next week and I'd find people that I could just build my own knowledge base. But then over time, people started seeing me as an expert. And now we have tons of programs, memberships, consulting and consultants, uh, a team of almost 20 now, most of which is in South Africa, actually. And, uh, yeah. we support therapists that want thriving private
0: practices. Fantastic. I, I have to say, I do feel like the the odd person out here, since both of you have like books published with like HarperCollins and I'm just sitting over here. Uh, I have my notes of questions I'd like to ask you, Joe. <laughs> uh,
1: did uh, did you publish I, those?
0: I, I wrote these yesterday. <laughs> oh, uh, you see, you are, you are a
1: published <laughs> author, Ben. You just don't you give go. yourself enough credit. <laughs> you
0: didn't use
2: AI to say, what questions should I ask Joe Santa? Oh,
1: <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> yes. think about that. What's funny is because as, as he was talking, I'm like, you are very entrepreneurial. And you're very tech forward. Where did you get that?
2: I think it actually goes back to being in bands in college and, you know, being a skateboarder oh, in high school skill. and Certain snowboarding. Guys. You know, I've, I've always been kind of on the outskirts of what just like everyone's into. So I went to a private Catholic school and I was the guy with long hair and a chain wallet in the 90s and, you know, liked Rage Against the Machine. And I feel like. I've never just fit into the regular mold, but I've also, I was an honors student. I wasn't the like druggie that's snowboarding. Everyone thought I sold drugs, but I didn't. <laughs> you know? so, so I think I've, I've always had this alternative way of thinking. And even I remember being at my freshman orientation for college, they said, all right, we're gonna make your schedules right now uh, And it's these small groups of six or eight people in the honors college. And I said, well, do I have to take classes on Friday? And they're like, no, this is college, do whatever you want. So even back then, there was these seeds of why is everyone else going to college five days a week I should just do it four then I can have three-day weekends and just trying things over and over that challenged the norm but still was close enough that I wouldn't really get in trouble (laughs) within it and I think that just carried over into how I did counseling how I ran my practice and I think it attracted a certain kind of person to want to work with a sort of
0: of out-of-the-box thinker. (laughs) Right, and you talk about thinking outside of the box, box, which actually leads to part of your book, internal inclinations. I would love if you could just kind of quickly for our audience, describe what an internal inclination is. Yeah, so the
2: research shows that there's really three naturally occurring inclinations that top performers have. So think CEOs, top managers, top entrepreneurs. Um, The first one is a level of curiosity that just, is there and even if you don't have these things uh that doesn't mean you you're gonna be bad at it it just means okay we know your baseline isn't naturally curious the second one is a outsider perspective and so the idea that outsiders statistically actually have more influence on a group than those that are inside the group i mean think about when there's a teacher conference, they always bring some outsider in to say, here's the new thing. Uh, and they have more influence than someone within that Hence group. Hence the success of your consulting career. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Bringing somebody in. And then the, the third one is we're going to be looking at all sorts of different ways to think about the world. And, and so when we're we're looking at these three internal inclinations, you know, sometimes we want to look at that third one of there's going to be speed over accuracy. And, and so there's times in life that we want things to be accurate. Like if I'm going to get surgery, I want my doctor, I want her to do as long of a job as she needs to do to make that an accurate surgery. But in the business world and in life, being paralyzed by perfection and being able to move on it is actually more important than uh, just being paralyzed by perfection. So then when we look at curiosity, we look at that uh, outsider perspective and the ability to move on it. Those three together really make it that you're a high performer. And there's different skills and um, talents that we can talk about of what that research shows us. But that's the big overview of the three internal inclinations. I
1: love that framework because I think about some of the clients that I work with, especially executives, to think about how do you break through to these next levels and just understanding where you're starting and then being able to focus on these three things. So in your world, you know, with curiosity, outsider perspectives, speed over accuracy or accuracy over speed, depending on where you're going for, you must index high.
2: Well, I think I would say yes. I do index high. Levels. I wrote the book to make myself feel better, basically. Oh, but, oh, well, that's no. a good therapist. Yeah, I want to go find the research to support my uh, previous uh, thoughts. No, I mean I think that there are ones that I struggle with more, or that I land on easier. Um, you know, I think for me, curiosity is something that when I'm really, when I have slowed down, when I have allowed myself that time. I am curious, but then like many people, when I'm putting out fires in the business and there's a lot going on, that's not always top of mind for me. But
0: when we're curious, that's really where a lot of the new ideas happen. Yeah. Right. Well, Angie, I am curious about the outside perspective of our audience. So I'm going to take action and ask Joe, are there any internal inclinations that you have noticed that are the other side of the coin that kind of hold people back that? prevent them from you know performing at their best
2: yeah i think when we look at an outsider perspective uh oftentimes when you're inside of a business a way of doing things uh, there's this idea of the sunk cost uh philosophy so we've put in this time into something we've we've decided to invest in certain things but it's just not working but because we've put time and money into it we're going to keep just feeding that beast whereas when an outsider comes in they oftentimes are able to say why are you doing it this way? You know, why don't we change this up? Uh, So even a quick example, I just hired a new director of details who's my executive assistant. I love that title by
1: the way, Director (laughs) of Details. I I
2: stole that from Grant Baldwin. I always give him credit. (laughs) He's an amazing public speaker and trainer. Um, I, I said, can I steal your director of details? And so she's my executive assistant, but Day one, she came in and just completely changed how we did my inbox. So for three and a half years, I had a different executive assistant who did it one way. And this new person right away was like, I know a better way. Let's do it. Over the weekend, she restructured my whole inbox. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this makes so much more sense. And I never would have put in the time or the energy to do that or to even say something was wrong because I was in it. But for this outsider to come in and just say, no, like let's do this, she did it without even asking. And then today, which is Monday while we're recording this, she took me through a training on how we're gonna do the inbox different. And it's mind blowing, it's amazing.
1: But what you're talking about with your book to Thursday's A New Friday is really a, a bigger picture of structuring your life. I would love to hear about your sense for the reader of how much control we actually have on structuring our life so we can live in the life that we have
2: yeah so let's talk about how most people structure structure their lives they will go all week long whether they work four or five six days and then the weekend will be for recovery it'll be in response to what just happened and so they're going to drink too much they're going to eat too much they're going to lay on the couch and watch Netflix. oh we I don't,
1: don't know need talking. your judgment <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't who know does that i don't know people oh, like dude. that do you i don't
0: we, know anyone like that we hit a
2: nerve there wow that was a strong just, reaction i drink nothing but macho yeah. on the
0: weekends
2: it, Instead of saying, this weekend, how can this be in preparation for what kind of life I want to have ahead of me? Now, that whole, I'm gonna go until I feel like I'm dying and then I'm gonna recover and just that cycle, Can be broken by just saying i'm going to start with slowing down that i'm going to start with what does my body need first and then see how that next week goes and so to even set a handful of really strong boundaries over the weekends to say okay what's a hard boundary i'm going to set so for me i wrote a book about the four-day work week so i'm never going to take on a consulting client that can only meet on fridays it's just a hard boundary i'm never going to take on a client uh, on a friday but if my website is down and things are on fire I'm gonna work on that on a Friday and not just let it burn all weekend. And so there's soft boundaries that are maybe more aspirational. So to even say in my own life, what are those hard boundaries? You know, once my daughters are home from school, I'm not gonna have anything on my calendar in regards to consulting or other things, unless it's an outlier. So maybe Simon Sinek says, any way you could do a 7 p.m. webinar, that's gonna have a different weight for my business than if just, you know, some random podcast says, hey, we only record at 8 p.m. on Tuesday nights. It's gonna be like, no, I'm not gonna do that. So there still is some flexibility there, but really saying, when am I working and when am I not working? How am I slowing down to help my body feel in line with my natural, natural neurosyncing, that's going to then help me be more more productive when I actually go try to kill it during the work week.
0: What is natural neurosyncing? That is, that, that, It sounds
1: like we need that. It sounds like
0: that's something important. It
1: does. I think the neuro is the we
0: we feel this when our bodies are
2: in line with the way that our brains are operating. So there's a lot of things that we can do to help this. So for example, on um, Spotify, there's a number of different hertz levels that you can listen to based on what you're trying to achieve. And so it's just these sounds that help your brains get in line for paying attention or for relaxation or things like that. And so that's then aligning what's in my environment with the way that my brain operates. And so some natural neurosyncing techniques would be if you want to start to kill it more when you're working, Align your environment by task and environment. So for example, whenever I'm writing something really important. So just recently I wrote uh, an article for a local publication called the Boardman Review. And so I have a specific dimming of my lights that I use when I'm writing. I have a specific playlist I use only for when I'm writing. I never look at text messages or the news before I start to write because it's just going to piss me off. Uh, And and then I'm not going to be in this deep flow state. And so we can induce these more comprehensive ways to use the natural natural neuros thinking of our brain with our environment when we're working. So I have different um things that I listen to when I'm doing email, different things I do when I'm writing, I have different lights that I have, different chairs that I sit in. So the more that your brain gets used to, okay, when I'm doing email, you know, I sit in this chair, I hear this music, I have this lighting, it then can jump back into that flow state quicker than if we just say, well, today I feel like sitting on the couch while I do my, my email. I'm going to do it on my phone today, uh, you know, when I'm watching Netflix. So I feel like I'm relaxing, but I'm actually not relaxing. And so intentionally pairing the way that our brainwaves operate with our environment and our work then allows us to get more done in a shorter period of time.
0: Now, brainwaves and hertz, is this, because I've heard things of like white noise, green noise, brown noise, are those the different kind of levels that kind of adjust your brain to get in that flow state
2: yeah so I'm not a audio uh, expert Mm -hmm. Um, I just know that I have tested different things with my own brain my understanding of it as an armchair expert is that there's certain frequencies that actually tap into your brain differently so for meditation there's ones that they've found that Buddhist chants also align with a lot of the Gregorian chants that these things across the world actually are Hertz levels that
0: help you get into more of a spiritual state whereas there's other ones that help you focus at different levels I'm going to ask this for our listeners: Is there a way that you can consolidate all these hurts and these levels and things into a document, and then we can just put it in the show notes? That way, everyone. Yeah, I'm happy to share the
2: resources I use, and and most of them are also in the book.
0: Oh, fantastic! All right.
1: Better yet, I was going to say though, as you're as you're going through this, one of the things I loved best about your book isn't is that it wasn't you know Uncle Joe's practices on getting a four day work week. It was really deep into the research, which to me, was something really important to you to put into practice. Can you talk about your approach with that, with getting the research and the journey you had to go on to find it?
2: Yeah, to me, it was so important to not just look at the research, but to look at the history. And, and so to even start with, how did we even get to this point? So
1: How did we get to this yeah, point? You're right. How yeah. did you? Like, let's talk about that. <laughs> well,
2: so often, we just think that because we have been raised on a, say, 40-hour work week plus, that that's how it's been. Well, if we actually go back and look at, well, what is reality? What is time? Where did that come from? I went all the way back to the Babylonians 3,000 plus years ago to look at where did our weeks come from? So a day makes sense. You know, the earth spins 24 hours. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, A year makes sense. You know, we go around the sun. Uh, Even our months are loosely related to the lunar calendar. But there is nothing in nature that points to seven days. It was just the Babylonians having bad astronomy skills. They looked up in the sky. They saw the sun and the moon. They looked down and saw earth and they could see Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, and Mars. So they saw seven bright things and they said, we should have seven days. You know, the Romans had eight day weeks, the Egyptians had 10 days, even in the 1800s, the Russians tried out a five, day work, a five day week. And so the week itself is completely made up by humans. So if we just start with, wow, this thing that we've all agreed to a seven day week, it's completely made up. There's nothing that it points to. Then it starts to say to myself, I start to say to myself, well, what else is made up? Well, in the 1800s, the average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. They were working a farmer schedule, even in the cities. So almost everyone was working all the time. So there was these major protests in Chicago right after the Chicago fires uh, in 1886. Uh, that's where we actually get May Day, uh, where there were all these protests around wanting a 40-hour work week, because all these people had moved from Europe with the promise of a better life in Chicago if they came and rebuild. And, It wasn't better, it was way worse. And so there were these major protests in 1886 called the Haymarket protests. Exactly 40 years later, Henry Ford announces that he's going to switch to the 40 hour work week. And so he strategically does it around May Day celebrations, pushing for the 40 hour work week to sell more cars to Ford employees. He had the idea that if people actually had a weekend, they'd have a reason to get out of town and to get back to town. So they would buy cars from him, even though they worked for him.
0: To me, when I think about Fridays and TGIF, I think about Steve Urkel, Family Matters, Step by Step, Hanging with Mr. Cooper.
2: Oh, the, I forgot about hanging with Mr. Cooper. I forgot Cooper. about Get
1: hanging with Mr. Cooper. Oh, it was popcorn.
0: It Did was you? popcorn time. Yes.
1: But we used to make it on the stove. And we, I don't know about you guys, but my mom and dad let me watch Dallas. Dallas. Ooh. When what? that music
2: came on, I knew it was bedtime.
1: Oh, <laughs> what was JJ Friday for you?
2: You know, I, I remember Full House, Urkel. We, my parents had these like brown cushion chairs from the 70s that we'd pull up into the living room and all like bring blankets and pillows. And, and we'd just sit around the TV and, you know, hang out.
1: So it was special. It was a start of something special. Apparently, it was a start of recovery. <laughs>
2: right. Well, actually, you know, one thing that that really I remember is on Fridays when my dad would get first get home from work before we had dinner is he would always put on the Blues Brothers soundtrack, and we would just like dance like crazy. That was just like a big Friday night thing, just to, to dance to the Blues Brothers and celebrate that it was weekend time.
1: So you were saying before the break, Henry Ford gave us the 40-day week, and then hopefully did, not 40 days. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 40, hours, 40 hours. 40 hours. Oh, my gosh. The 40, 40 day. day week. Wow. Well, you know, I, it's why a, a no week. Like, right?
0: yeah, Noah.
1: There's no rules with these yeah. weeks, apparently. Not, right? You can kind of do whatever you want to do. So the 40 hour work week. But how did like the specialness of Friday come about?
2: Yeah. So we start to see it really shift in the 80s and 90s where there's the rise of casual Fridays, the rise of the TGIF on, on things. People you know, never fully embrace Fridays as a full work day. But a lot of the industrialist mindset still was there with seeing people as machines that were plugged in, you go to the factory, you get a certain productivity done. But then we see that with the rise of computers, the rise of really information being a leader more than, uh, you know, it's the industrialists, it's really the fall of the industrialists that align with the fall of Fridays as a workday because the accountability was just different and it was harder to track. And a lot of those companies had no way to really track, well, what's the productivity on a Friday compared to a Monday, and so we see that that continue where we we have team building days on Fridays. It's gonna we're gonna celebrate Janet's you know new birth of her baby with cupcakes, and you know Fridays are gonna be this day where we kind of just we're all here, but we're not fully here. Um, But then we see the pandemic hit in 2020, and that really shifts everything so quickly. That was the final nail in what I would say is the industrialist coffin, Uh, because the industrialist approach is. People are things to be plugged in. They are like machines. They're replaceable. But in so many different ways, we had moved away from that, but not really named that. We're clearly in a post-industrialist way of thinking in business. Now, will there still be room for industrialists? Will there still be room for assembly lines? Of course, like there's industries that won't move away from that. But overall we really have. And that's where instead of the biggest key performance indicator being a butt in a chair for 40 hours, now people during the pandemic had to say, what's the what's the reason we're hiring this person? It's not just to sit on Zoom for 40 hours. This role actually has some clear things that we can measure and so very quickly we see the mindset go from butts in a chair to actually what are the key performance indicators for this particular role
1: I love that because I think about the people who I have the pleasure of working with it's not the time you spend in the chair it's the quality of your mind and if you're not taking care of your mind then you're not taking care of your most valuable asset in your career I, I want to go back to your youth you understand at a very or you understood at a very early age the significance of Friday to you. So not wanting to take classes on Friday. And you've built your life around having a Friday off. How has that benefited you? What do you do on Fridays, Joe?
2: You know, Fridays are more of a reset day. My two daughters are at school and it's a day that I can blitz the house and have it look really nice for the weekend and feel like we're not gonna spend all of Saturday cleaning things. It's when I do grocery shopping. Uh, Usually I'll go for a walk with a friend or grab breakfast with them. Uh, It's a day where I really try to make sure that how I'm entering the weekend is going to feel as healthy as possible, not just for my daughters, but for myself. Uh, And so by doing that, it then allows me, I think, to be a better dad um, to really say, what do I want to get out of the weekend or out of this Friday? So it may be, hey, I haven't walked with my friend Taylor, who I've known since we got babysat together when I was five. I want to go for a walk with Taylor, uh, and that makes me feel different than if I just, you know, sat and meditated or if I read a book. That really, I'm paying attention to. How much does this activity help me feel better and prepped for both the weekend, but then also ready to jump into the work week so that when Monday comes, I'm not saying, Oh, got another case of the Mondays, but instead I'm ready to go. I'm like a,
0: a horse ready to you know, do the race. You know, Angie, I think we've all been in that place where it's like, we're working on a project and it comes around to about 10 PM and we're working and you have the decision to make. Am I going to plow through the night and get this thing done? Or should I just go to sleep now, get up early and work on it? And almost inevitably, it's always better to go to sleep and recharge your brain and hit it first thing in the morning. What are some other ways, because this is all about slowing down and you talk about this a lot in the book, what are some other just simple ways that people can apply to their lives right now, that will slow down and just improve their mental bandwidth.
2: One of my favorite studies is out of University of Illinois and it was on vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well we pay attention to something, decrement meaning breaking down over time. So their philosophy and what really the common science was at the time before the study was that we have a cup of water that we call our energy in the day and it gets poured out by the end of the day, you're just stuck, that's the amount of energy you have, your vigilance has gone down, it's gonna decrement. Now they took these college students and for an hour, they would sit at a computer. They gave them a very boring task. Here's a four digit random number. All these four digit numbers will come up on the screen. And when you see yours, you're gonna click a button. And if you don't see yours, you just sit there. And so you know, five to 10 times, they would have their, their uh, particular number come up. So they noticed that over that hour that there'd be vigilance decrement. The amount they paid attention right at the beginning was way better than how they paid attention at the end. Now, what they did with the second version of the study is at the one-third mark, they gave them a one-minute break. They said something like, we put you in the wrong computer, just hang out in the lobby for a minute, we'll get you set up on a new computer. There were no magazines, there was no technology, they didn't have their phones. It was literally just a one-minute break, hang out in the lobby, come back. And then at the two-thirds mark, they did the same thing, where they gave them a one-minute break. Now, what they found was giving two one-minute breaks in that hour period completely eliminated vigilance decrement. So you think about that. We often think I got to have a three-day weekend. Sure. That would be great. I would love for everyone to be able to do that. I think our society is showing over and over through the research that a four-day work week gives us more than enough time to get things done, but that's not always realistic. Sometimes we have a project and we know it has to get done. So leaving for a minute and just like stepping outside or doing a plank or just getting a cup of
0: coffee, not jumping on technology can be more than enough to reset your brain. Now, when you say take this break, I assume you don't mean, well, I'll just take a minute and scroll on TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. Not <laughs> do they have the same effect?
1: Get YouTube, <laughs> right. gotta catch up, yeah. right?
0: Things like being in nature,
2: doing something physical, just taking some deep breath, walk up and down the stairs at your house, whatever it is to just move your body a little bit can be enough to reset your brain because our brains are still very primitive. They're still looking for the rhino that's gonna chase us through the woods, uh, and so. When we leave a setting and come back to it for a little bit, it's really paying attention, even if it's a common environment that we're used to. And so that's why it has that vigilance, like, did anything change in here? Is there something that's going to scare me? Even though it's your home office, it still wants to pay attention more when you take that quick break.
1: Wanted to talk to you about this topic of people being addicted to work. And I have to admit, I find myself, I wouldn't say that I'm an addict. But I recognize sometimes that I go to work because work is easier than other elements of my life. Like being a parent is hard. Sometimes dealing with a relationship outside of work is hard. Work sometimes can be a really great comfort zone for people because we're good at it most of the time and it doesn't talk back. How do you handle people who claim that they're work addicts or maybe are addicts and they don't even know it?
2: Yeah. Well, let's start with that word addict. How do we know someone's an addict versus just a recreational user in any capacity? It's It has a negative impact on your life. And so, you know, someone that can go out and have a drink or two with their friends and they're fine and then they go home. That's not usually an addict. Now, there's another person that could have two drinks and then they always get in a fist fight or they, you know, they drink them really fast and then they get pulled over and you know, they get divorced because of it that that would be someone that we would say has an addictive personality or has addictive problems with alcohol now if we take that same philosophy and just apply it to work is the amount of work that you're doing negatively affecting you. So is it hurting relationships? Is it hurting your health? Is it hurting other life goals of yours? Is it hurting how connected you are to your family? Now there's people that they wanna be in a really tough CEO position that's mentally stimulating for them. They have to work 50 or 60 hours a week and they love it and their family knows that that's what they want and that that's their goals okay, that family has decided for themselves that this level of work is appropriate and that person has certain habits to make sure that it's healthy. And so we may lump that person into being a work addict, but they might not really be. And so I would first say, is working covering over something that is a problem you're not addressing? I love that.
1: That is. I've never thought about it that way from, again, the unhealthy side. Yeah. It's like maybe
2: I just say you're a single person and you have a hard time being alone. You don't have kids. You don't have many dates. And so you just work all the time. Instead of saying I'm a single person who has a hard time being alone and this isn't the life I want, but I guess I'll go work. You're defaulting to work instead of working on bettering yourself or getting back in the dating scene or whatever your life is. It may be that your kids are a pain in the butt. And instead of working on being a better parent or working together as a family to make that a more healthy thing, or even saying, okay, how do we make this something I wanna do? You know, my daughters, they always want me to play Barbies with them or different things there's different games they do that I'm just not interested in. And really? there's time. Yeah, I know. I'm not even a big Barbie pusher. It's just as infiltrated our family somehow. And I feel like I tried to be such a progressive uh, with that, but no, they, they just, uh, they, but they put them in unique situations. So, um, but, but I would be just get some Ninja turtles. and introduce I know. them, And then we can, but it's like, play. you know, if, if you want me to take a whole bunch of cardboard and then put the Barbies on something to go off a ramp or, you know, play some music together, Um, to find what for me as a parent I can enjoy that also overlaps with what they would enjoy. So there's things that I might not want to play with them. There's other things that maybe I do want to play with them. Mm -hmm. And so if I just defaulted to everything they wanted to do, I probably wouldn't want to play with my girls nearly as much as if I have some power and control in that also. And so when we default to work, oftentimes it's like anything we default to. It's not allowing us to then dig into really prioritizing the
0: fun and the life that we could be living.
1: That is powerful. Got
0: to find out if the Barbies like the Blues Brothers. Then we can get there. We Then we can get the dancing going on Friday (laughs) nights and popcorn. (laughs) Yeah, Joe, I want to ask because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are in jobs that are nine to five. You know, they're W two. This is their life, and so the four hour work, or excuse me, the four day work week isn't exactly possible. What advice would you have for them to just have a more fulfilling life and kind of get the benefits of this book?
2: Yeah, I think when we look specifically at hourly workers, uh, that's where there's a huge challenge here that to me is a bigger discussion to say, what is the value of those workers? Because if you give them 32 hours a week, they just make less money. And like, should they take the brunt of this? Because the research that's coming out from the UK, from the Iceland study, from Salesforce or other companies that are doing this are showing that salaried workers that work 32 hours a week are as productive or more productive than 40 hour a week workers that there's just no difference. Those last eight hours are basically them donating it to the company for no reason whatsoever. So if we say that there's the same productivity in most roles. Yes. Someone that's stocking shelves at a grocery store. If you have eight less hours, that's eight less hours of stocking shelves. So that's a different discussion. Um, but the salary w two workers, that's a discussion with those bosses to say, why aren't we looking at this research? Um, I had a Harvard business review article that we can link to in the show notes about how to walk through an experiment of implementing the four-day work week. And the quick version of it is that you wanna have a conversation with your boss. um, Because if your boss isn't on board, it's not gonna happen. And it's gonna reveal some things. Are you working for an industrialist that only cares about 40 hours a week uh, and sitting in a chair? Or are you working for someone that is a creative thinker? So it may be that this job really isn't for you long-term. Or maybe it is, but you realize this is how it is. I'm gonna stay with this 40 hour a week. And then after that, to look at how are you already measuring success within this role? So say you're a salesperson. There's a specific amount of sales we want you to make in a month. Uh, we need to have this many leads. You need to have this many conversations. There's things that are already part of, of the program. And, and then with similar people, other salespeople saying, well, what would a four-day work week culture look like for us? What's the DNA that we can have for a two to three-month experiment where we can just say, we're going to try this for a couple months? Then every week you're having a standing meeting that's no longer than 15 minutes how do we do on our numbers that we all determined and how did we do in regards to respecting this four-day work week well jim from accounting sent us all an email wednesday night at nine and half the team replied Like that made me feel like I was out of the loop Thursday morning. Like maybe Jim from accounting has a very important email that we all need to agree to check on Wednesday nights, or maybe we all acted inappropriately and shouldn't have checked our emails at nine o'clock at night. So then you're, you're coming up with what works for this team. And you can present that to your boss who then can take it to upper management and say, look, they had the same sales numbers. Actually, they did better with a four-day work week. This experiment from our point of view was beneficial. We'd like to try it another quarter and just see if the numbers are reliable moving forward.
0: It's really interesting how I just all the internal inclinations in the process he just described, being curious, taking action, using an outsider's perspective, and how the, the stuff you talk about in the book in the book just finds itself over and over again in these circles. That's just, and the, just cynic, cool. and <laughs> the cynic in
1: me was like, I could see a manager saying, wow, they were able to achieve that in 32 hours. What if we make them work 64? Can you even imagine? Right, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about the Parkinson's law, because I think that's really important to understanding too, you know, how we use our time? and are we being most productive and efficient with with the minutes that we have? So tell us tell us Joe about, The Parkinson's law.
2: Yeah. So Parkinson's law has two parts to it. The one that most people know is that work expands to the time given. Uh, You realize you have a paper due the next day when you're in college and you get that paper written for the next day. Um, It may not be the best quality, but you get it done. If you have two weeks to do something, you spend two weeks. The other side that most people don't talk about is the natural bloating of organizations uh, that as soon as you add a system in, it's near impossible to pull that system back out. And so the more that we can say we're going to give ourselves a shorter period of time and say, hey, we have 20 tasks to do, but only enough time to do 10. That's going to naturally help you be able to say, here are the specific tasks that are top
0: level, and the bottom 10, we're going to let go, we're going to shed, we're going to delete. My wife and I, we love to watch MasterChef. One, because we both love incredible food and like to fantasize that we're the ones eating it. But also, what I realized is sometimes the contestants get penalized, and everyone gets 30 minutes to cook, but this person that was penalized has to sit out. For the first five minutes. And 99% of the time, that person is just sitting there thinking and planning and they usually end up executing so much better than the other contestants. We've never seen anyone eliminated. I think this is just kind of a great example of what you were talking about, Joe.
2: Yeah, it's a perfect example. I mean, you think about when do you have your best ideas? Is it when you're stressed out and maxed out and your kids are screaming and you're just so frustrated? Or is it When you're taking a shower or you go for a walk or you're maybe on a drive and you decide to just turn off all the music and everything and just think for a while. You know, for me, the first minute I'm meditating is like this flood of, oh, I forgot to do this. I need to do this. And so if I ever feel like I don't know what I need to do next, if I start meditating, it just floods in right away. Um, Because we allow our brains to slow down a little bit, and it's probably part of that monkey brain that happens oftentimes. Um, But that idea of when we slow down, when we take the five minutes before the 25 minutes of cooking, we then can allow our brains to really absorb all the different angles instead of just being hit with the stress of a situation. That's
0: great.
1: That is genius. And I agree. It's it's funny. My best ideas come Sunday mornings at church. And I should be paying attention, but it's almost <laughs> like I'm in this hour meditative state and I have the program right in front of me, and I always bring a pen with me. And my boys will nudge me, "Pay attention, pay attention." I'm like, "No!" <laughs> I just Everyone thinks you're of actively something. like yeah. doing the sermon. Yeah, She's I hear so what you're saying note-taking. up there. <laughs> I just got an idea for an article. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, um, we are now in the phase of our five favorite questions. Ben, yes, yeah, so are you ready to hit him hard with these questions? Let's hit, hit me. So,
0: first question. <laughs> and keeping in mind, we only have about five minutes, so you got to give the succinct, quick answer. All right. Uh, Who's someone in your life that has been a major influence with a positive impact that you don't give enough credit to?
2: I mean, my daughters, like the fact that uh, they are getting raised by a single dad who has primary custody and just how resilient they are and creative and fun. uh, They make my life so much better and they
0: don't even know it. That's great. I think they did a study on happiness and they said the number one driver of happiness is quality relationships in your life, whether that's with friends, family, or the people you work with. Excellent.
1: I, I agree. That's wonderful. How do you get out of a funk?
2: Hmm, I would say when I'm in a funk, I try to get into nature. Uh, I try to mm. go for a walk. Uh, I, I evaluate what I've been putting pressure on myself that is unnecessary uh, and really look at what are the one or two things that they make the big in- income impact, but even happiness impact.
1: So really it's turning into your own mind that helps you kind of work, give yourself some own therapy. Yeah. And
2: to to really think through what what are the core things that really have to get done? What
0: can I just let go for a while? If you could go back 10 years and give yourself some advice, what advice would you give them?
2: I would just say there's going to be a lot of tough things and they're all going to serve you in some way or another, even the tough stuff, you're fine that, uh, on the other side of really terrible things is, you know, the life that you get to live, just enjoy it. Be in the front
0: row seat of this crazy movie called Joe. great. I (laughs) I think I heard once that most people's biggest problem is they think they shouldn't have any, Mm -hmm. but like you said there, that's just not the way the world works. We have these things that come up that, you know, throw us off course, but we can see those things as problems or as opportunities to learn. That's absolutely.
1: I think about that often too, when you ask people, you know, what did you learn more from in life? Your struggles or your successes? People's hands always shoot up. And I'm not saying run to have more struggle in your life. That's a good thing. It's really, it's like, don't hide from it. Mm -hmm. It's gonna happen. Thank you so much for that, Joe. I would love to talk to you about books because you obviously are a huge reader, but can you share a book you read that was really valuable to you personally or professionally?
2: Yeah, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, hands down. Uh, that book, uh, it got me through my uncoupling. It's one that I go back to over and over. And it really just points out how much we try to attach to something good happening and have unrealistic expectations for other people or what our lives are supposed to look like. Or we are avoiding you know, the, the scary things in our life instead of allowing them to unfold.
1: Thank you for that recommendation. Oh, I've heard that book before. I need to pick it up. I feel like at any stage of life, when you're going through something, you need to have that really great piece to refer to.
2: Yeah, it's it's
0: just a wonderful grounding book. Oh, thanks Uh, so much, Lephora. Also, put that in the show notes for everyone. We will put
1: (laughs) that in the show notes for certain.
0: All right. And the final question is, what is a strategy or a piece of practical advice that someone gave you in your life that just was a game changer that our listeners can apply to their lives right now?
2: Yeah, I would say, I don't remember who said it or who passed on the quote, but when you say no to one thing, you say yes to so many more. And so just that idea that when I set a boundary and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be on the PTO this year. Uh, that's good. That's needed. We need people on the parent teacher organization, but by saying no to that thing, I'm now opening up a lot of other possibilities to spend more time with my daughters or spend time doing something healthy or whatever. It can be these good things that we say no to that also open up doors to things that are even better for ourselves.
1: I love that. Joe, thank you so much for being on Bet on You Radio. I don't know about you, Ben, but I have a ton of notes here Oh, yes. that <laughs> I know <laughs> will we'll have the intention of becoming action items. This is great, though. Thank you, Joe.
2: This has been amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Ben, wasn't that the best interview? I say that about everybody, but that it, was just it was awesome. So it
0: was so good. It was great because he has this book. So we had so many wonderful questions and I loved the last piece of advice he gave. He said if he could go back, or excuse me, the best piece of advice someone gave him was just the ability to say no. It lets you say yes to so many other things. I I know of this quote that says, the act of saying no is simply the act of exchanging popularity for respect. And you can't get ahead without respect. So just kind of reevaluating re-eval- everything in my life because you know I'm a, I'm a people pleaser i like oh, to say yes a lot
1: i do too <laughs> i do too. I am a total people pleaser and i'm trying to get better and i realized one of the things that i've done recently to help my no carry some weight because you could say angie do you want to do this and i'll say no. And then you're like, <laughs> yeah. come on. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. No. <laughs> but, but I started to say like to myself, like, what are my values? What are the things that are really most important? And Joe talks a lot about that too. Just really knowing intentionally what your values are. It helps you be ready when people come to you and ask you for things because you have like this. Okay, is it connected to this? Is it connected? The no is a lot easier. What do you do to try to take away some of your people pleasing tendencies?
0: Oh, I, 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 I'm I, horrible at it. I'm still working on it. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I've read this book, so this is going to help. But what, what was something that stood out today for you that you were just like, oh, wow, that really resonates?
1: I really love how intentional he is with his environment and getting into his flow state and that is one of the things that I definitely need to be better at. I think I've built up this myth in my mind that I can get something done whenever it needs to get done. I don't care about you know the sound waves. I don't care about the lighting. I just like get it done and it makes me realize well what if I was a little bit more structured and thoughtful about when I was doing stuff What was the surrounding? What was I listening to? What might that look like? And so I feel like there's this whole other window of opportunity I could step into that can be, you know, help me be more productive, be more efficient. And with productivity and efficiency, maybe I can have a day off for a change maybe we all can (laughs) maybe you can too (laughs) that's
0: the hope that's the hope yeah so what do you think you're going to change in your office when you get home today
1: i'm going to start with lighting i think is the big thing we moved into this old house and the lighting is not awesome what about you what are you going to start trying
0: well i'm probably just going to need to organize my office first and foremost yeah yeah because i have to unpack from my last keynote and repack for the keynote later this week the i'm actually you called me out on it i'm wearing swag from (laughs) a club that a client gave me a while back thank you but it's good swag
1: (laughs) that's really good swag I think that it's okay thank oh. you ortho virginia for the unofficial sponsor of this Universal podcast today on you
0: radio <laughs> and of course if you want to have more uh learn more about how you can bet on yourself and win don't forget angie's incredible book
1: bet on you oh and then your upcoming book
0: upcoming book yes we Uh, all
1: when we see ben next we have to say how is the book coming
0: absolutely and you're
1: gonna have an answer that says
0: because i'm a people pleaser it's the accountability i will say it's it's in the works
1: (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all for listening to bet on you radio we hope you really enjoyed this episode just as much as we did